Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. This is Audra. This is Sadie. Uh, so welcome. We will be discussing part two, so chapters 15 on of The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. We discussed chapters one through 14 in our last episode. Um, so also, last episode, we decided to answer a couple book-related mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. to kind of do a little intro, get to know you. Um, so we're going to continue with that theme for now and we'll also post these on our Instagram. So we'd love to hear from you. Um, love hearing from everybody. Hopefully yes. people are listening and we'd like to know you're listening. So if you have a second, cause you're never on your phone, <laughs> never, um, never, no one ever is, uh, please respond. So, uh, Sadie, I think I read last time. So why yes. don't you give us the questions? Okay. Um, do you eat or drink while reading? Oh, duh. I'm always eating and or drinking. Same. Like, yeah, all the time. Yes, definitely. Yep, ditto. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, one book at a time or several at once? I will do multiple. I usually, like right now I've got two. I'm mm-hmm. reading our next book, uh, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold by John LeCar. Go pick up a copy from your local bookstore if you have not. So you can join us July 9th for our next podcast about yes, that yes, book. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, but so I'm reading that. Um Except I just finished my other books. And so I have a new one that I was going to start. But yeah, I'll read multiple books at once. I don't do more than three. And I usually will only do two fiction. And then I've yes. got like a nonfiction going. I have to mis- mix genres if I'm going to do that. Because especially if, if you're in like a world where there's so much world building. Like I found it more difficult for me to read more than one book with this book yes that's true it's also book dependent like there's some books that I can intermix and I never get them confused or have an issue but some and some just require my full attention yep like I don't have capacity for others so yeah I I can and I usually do but there are exceptions yeah all right um okay let's see reading out loud or silently in your head I I read silently. Though I mean, I read out loud to my kids. We're reading Harry Potter right now. We're on the third book, but that's reading yeah. to them. Do you do you read like every word, like where you almost like hear it in your head, or do you read everything fast enough that it's more like you gain an, like an understanding of a chapter or a sentence without having to like go word by word? That's an interesting question. I haven't really thought about it. I probably most of the time do the latter. Yeah, because I read really fast. Yeah. Um. But I don't think I always do. I'll have to pay attention to that. And also, I think it's a, depending on the book. Depends for me, too. Like, if there's a lot of dialogue, I feel like I like to read it out almost like I imagine the characters saying those things. Mm. But if it's more descriptive dialogue or, you know, descriptive prose, I feel like I can go through that faster. Like, if I'm reading Dickens, where the man can talk about an orange for three pages... <laughs> Um, yeah, I probably speed read the hell out of that shit and figure I get what the orange is like if I'm in the mood, um, or if I'm in a hurry or not in the mood to read three pages about an orange. Um, but if I'm in the mood to appreciate that, 
yeah. then I will. Yeah. So it's also, I think it's dependent on a lot. Yeah. All right. Do you break the spine or do you keep it like new? And also, do you annotate your books? Um. Yes. I trash the hell out of my books. I don't mean to. Mm. But I carry them with me everywhere. Like this one. Like it's all wet. It's, it's very used. It's well um, loved. Yeah. So I have no problem with any of that. I think books are meant to be same treated well, but read. They're, mo- meant, they're meant to be used. Yes. They're not um, just like decorative pieces. Correct. Although I use my books as decoration. Same. But I've read them all or will be reading them all. So I don't think it matters. Um, and no judgment. Books are a great way to decorate. So have at it. Um, and then annotate. Uh, I do for the books that we read. Right. But I don't just on their own. More so like if I am reading something and I'm like, oh, here's something I want to remember or notate. I yeah. will like make an actual physical note on like my notebook with my phone or something. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. This is so this isn't a question that I had pulled up to ask, but it's kind of related. Um, do you ever like reread a book that you'd read years prior and see something that you like wrote or you underlined and like it has just like a completely different meaning or like do you find that mm-hmm. fun to see like yeah. what was important to you in years par- prior oh yeah like, what's important to you now um this past christmas one of the gifts i gave to one of our friends i gave him a copy of um james baldwin a collection of essays that's mm-hmm. not in print anymore and it's one i had in college and read for a college class so i had annotations all over that book because it was for a class mm-hmm. and before i wrapped it up and gave it to him um i kind of looked through and saw all that and it was interesting to like see what I wrote in it and what yeah. the focus was and what yeah so I definitely will do that when it's like for some for our podcasts or mm-hmm. you know I did that in school I haven't otherwise I don't really do it anymore do you have a book that you've like reread like one book that is like a constant kind of like reread for you or revisit or um like emotionally is still like extremely impactful for you um over the years you know I've read a lot of books more than once but there's not that many that I'll read continuously and I think that's because I just want to read all the books there are all the yes so it's like I don't have time to read what I haven't read yet right let alone reread yeah but I have read 100 years of solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez probably around five or six times it's awesome um so and over a long span, like starting in high school up until like a year ago. Yeah. So five times over, unfortunately, a lot of years. But um, not that many, everybody. <laughs> She's being harsh. Mm, I feel really old. <laughs> I woke up today sore as hell. And I'm like, this is life now. I'm going to wake up and feel sore. Well, you also have a very physical lifestyle. I do have a very physical lifestyle, but still, I do not remember waking up every day and feeling sore. And anyway, so I'm just feeling sorry for myself. But. Yeah, I, I read that book about five times. Um, I don't know. What about you? Um, I associate books with the seasons often. That's interesting. So um, a book that I read like every spring is Desert Solitaire by Edward Abbey. Mm. Um, it's a nonfiction. It's a collection. It's very nostalgic, though, too. Very nostalgic. Yeah. Which is... I'm not that nostalgic. I'm very nostalgic. Yes. So that's a huge reason of Mm -hmm. like why I read that. Um, 
And I love my copy. The copy that I have, I received from like my favorite high school English teacher. He gave me when he was about to retire. And, um, you know, and he was the one who pushed me to read it. And so that was a huge part of it. And also just like really makes me think of Utah in the spring. And it's just, it's very nostalgic for me. So I read it just about every spring. And then other than that, I think the only one that Maybe I... Maybe we should do the Monkey Wrench Gang. We should. We should do that book after The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Because okay. Edward Abbey's great. And I think the Munchie, I Monkey Wrench Gang is a really good, like... Well, it's representation a, of him. Yes, it's his and best it's fiction. Well yeah. It's his best fiction. Yeah, um, we should definitely do that. I agree. Um, the only other one that I feel like I've really read like repeatedly that has meant a lot to me is All the King's Men mm-hmm. by Robert Penn Warren. Yeah. I actually have a tattoo from that book, um, and it's that one's meant a lot to me. It's it's like a political novel, but that's not really like what interests me about it it's more about how this like third party person kind of like reconciles his own kind of like responsibility in the things that happen to him and around him and then also um the quote that from that book that really has like impacted me a lot is the end of man is to know that's something that's just never left me so I I revisit that book a lot for that nice yeah you are nostalgic that's, that's i'm a big reason. so nostalgic i'm so emotional it's definitely i think it's it's a treat it it's is a family trait i believe for as sure. an outsider <laughs> coming into the family it's, it's definitely there for sure i finally just admitted that i'm sorry i cannot stand to watch the christmas carol or whatever it is that you guys watch on christmas Scrooge? eve i can't stand that movie you can't can't stand Scrooge. i told your mom and dad a while ago it i think it was Chloe's birthday party. I love you all so much, and I very much enjoy spending Christmas with you and all of the holidays. I don't like Scrooge. I but just it's Albert Finney. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, guys, everybody, you just witnessed we'll a just... major impasse in mine and Andre's relationship. This is our first fight. This is our first <laughs> podcast fight. I think so. <laughs> no, it's just uh, kidding. I I don't blame anybody for that. I definitely I know that my. Uh, attachment to that is nostalgic for sure. Yeah, it's okay though. It's a, it's endearing. You're it's an endearing trait. Yeah, like how lucky am I that I've had such a wonderful childhood that I feel so nostalgic. Yeah, oh, about you it. should feel awful for the fact yeah. that you have so much nostalgia. <laughs> like, yeah, pretty lucky. You know, it's awesome. Um, speaking of awesome, also our libation for this evening. Yes, I'm so proud of myself. So we had a frosé last time. Sadie's first frosé and it was delicious um part two we spent a lot of time in the book on the ice and I don't just mean like winter ice rink ice I mean like you're gonna die ice like a frozen tundra scary crazy ice um so we wanted to do a hot drink and also some duality we had frozen last time have something hot so Mm -hmm. um I don't think this is necessarily original I know there's probably a drink out there and it probably has a name that's just this exact way, but um, I took, and I don't know how much of anything, I just eyeballed it, what looked good to me. Uh, Butter, dark brown sugar, nutmeg, salt, and vanilla. And I mixed that all together into like a batter paste and then crack and rum Mm -hmm. and then boiling water and mixed that all together and then poured it in cute little mug with a cinnamon stick. And it is delicious. It's amazing. Yeah. 
very impressed with this drink. Uh, highly recommend. And even though it's yes. summer, I right now I feel like we're in a nice, cozy this winter feels, evening this feels in our in, little studio. Yes, yes. In our own little world, we're on winter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this and drink. And I'm pretty much already done with it. I'm pretty close. We're oh, my like gosh. 10 minutes in. This is... <laughs> Yeah, so this is the second episode that Audrey and I have recorded in person together, which is probably why it's a, maybe a little bit more rambly, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Um, I think this is my favorite drink that I've had. So thank you for coming you are up welcome. with this. This is amazing. She really took the lead on this, and mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Quite, quite proud of my drink. Um, okay, so I think we already went over again what our next book is. Hope yep. you all can go pick up a copy, get started on that. Discussed our libation our get to know you questions. So <laughs> let's get back into it. Um, starting with chapter 15, um, which is entitled to the ice. So we kind of gave a rundown at the end of last episode about, um, kind of what was happening plot wise. So Genley, um, has been put in this kind of prison, which again is interesting. It's, it's not, he's not like locked in a cell. It's almost like a, oh, what do they call that? But it's like mm-hmm. a farm, a work farm. Like a labor camp. <clears throat> labor camp, thank you. Um, and is becomes really ill um, yeah. to the point of death due to that he has to work, but then they bring him in to interrogate him. It's like the conditions, and then they um, they also discuss the fact that they make them like dependent on substances. Yes. Uh, there's a lot going on there. Really, it's, yeah. And, and then it's interesting, it's discussed a little later after Estrevan goes in and rescues him Genley kind of is inquiring about how he did this you know how he yeah. got him out and it's like you could have walked out on your own it mm-hmm. wasn't hard to rescue you because there's no real there's nothing to really escape outside of outside of winter outside of winter you know you're not going to get far also you're in such weak it's such a weak state you don't have the energy to escape and that's kind of how it's this prison. Um, it's like a prison of your own making in a way. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But so chapter 15 begins uh, It's starting with Genley's narration. And he's narrating now that he's been saved and he wakes up. And this is kind of where he finally gets to. I feel like this second half of the book, it's not even a half second quarter. Yeah. Um, from this point on, or I should say, is really where Genley does what he was sent to do. He was sent to know this universe and these mm-hmm. people, form a connection with them so that he's able to bring them into the acumen so that yeah. they can be a part of these universes to share knowledge and expand and have uh, all these different universes grow and progress and evolve and yeah he has not been able to do that up until this point and finally I think does once he takes the time to learn about Estrovin and who he is as a person and then Mm -hmm. that is himself as a representative of this of this universe and I love this is the is it in the same chapter where we get kind of that left why it's you know it's in chapter 16 i love it it's, I, it's on page 252 in my column but estrovin it's i think it's a song or like a lullaby let me see hmm. maybe not it's um 
Oh, so so there's two kingdoms in this world, and and I think Estrovin's talking kind of more about the other kingdom that um, Genli didn't start out in necessarily. Um, and he says, "Well, in the Hondra, you know, there's no no theory, no dogma. Maybe they are less aware of the gap between men and beasts, being more occupied with the likenesses, the links, the whole of which living things are a part." Tormer's lay had been all day in my mind, and I said the words. Light is the left hand of darkness, and darkness the right hand of light. Two are one, life and death, lying together like lovers in Kemmer, like hands joined together, like the end and the way. And, you know, we have the books titled The Left Hand of Darkness, and I just love this couplet yeah. um, that's recited, and I think it's such a great way to understand this this people and their their way of looking at life and who they are which is this ambisexual this this I mean we all have that duality right but I think we reject it in a lot of ways and we you know we we talked about last episode we want things in boxes you're either this or that Mm -hmm. um and you got to be what you started out being because that's what you are and you can't be both and it's very clear Mm -hmm. that these two things are separate and I think I really love and have for a little while and I love that in this book this idea of duality and the yin and the yang and the light and the dark and those things are are in everything because that's how it survives you know it's the end and the way and Mm -hmm. I think that he it's just such a lovely way to say that yeah and you know the Handara like the Handarath are such an interesting thing that he explores in this book because it's you know it's kind of like a religious group yeah, uh, it's like I think it's a good comparison would be like Buddhism. Yeah, yeah, and the best part about it is that it's, you know, it's about finding the questions, figuring out what questions are unanswerable, and then, you know, purposefully not trying to answer them. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's kind of like a level of acceptance of like what life is and also not trying to really answer the question of what what life is and like not focusing so much on like the hard and fast answers of everything and just kind of accepting things as they are like you can't answer the question of life you can't answer really truly like what it means to be a man what it means to be a woman yeah like you can't answer it because it's not the same for everybody and I love, we talked about this last time, but I love how this book, it says, I think there's so many profound things in it and so many answers. And, but then also, you know, just like how we talked about last episode, it's, it's this interesting, this idea of ambisexuality and what does that mean and how progressive is this? But then, mm-hmm. you know, every character is referred to as a he. Yep. And then with this idea that you're just talking about, but then also this is the kingdom. These are the people that end up like imprisoning him. Right. Because they don't believe in who he is like they don't trust and they're looking for you know theirs is I think looking at him as he's duplicitous more on like a political kind of way Um, yes and so it's interesting because they're this I I mean it's kind of painted as almost this Buddhist like you know oh I just threw money everywhere (laughs) using money as my bookmark um but yeah I think it's and yet they're harsher even in their treatment of Genli um so yeah I I just just when you think oh this is the way oh but it's not well it's it's interesting to look at like 
what these different people and societies view as distrustful. You know, Genley's looking at these people, and initially, as we discussed in the previous chapters, he's looking at Estrevan or um, Estrevan as uh, distrustful in, because of his ambisexuality. Yeah. You know, the fact that he can't quite pin him down. He's a pervert. Is, yeah, like, it makes it makes Genley, like, uncomfortable. But then the fact that Genley is, like, inherently a man... Um, right. And also is, yeah. is perverted, right? And that's what's questionable is like the fact that he's almost like inherently in a constant state of like heat almost as a man. Right. Is, you know, it's, it's almost like a like because he's inherently male, always male. The idea of like almost like sex being on his mind all the time, like they think that that's how it is for him. And it makes them trust him less or something. It's it's very weird. You can't quite tackle it down. But it, it is interesting to look at how these two different societies view these certain traits in the other individuals as like inherently untrustworthy mm-hmm. just because they don't get it. Well, and I, I think it's interesting, you know, there's so much duality talk. There's, you know, male and female. There's these two kingdoms. Yeah. And they're painted either as kind of these opposites of each other in a lot of ways and then really what it comes down to from Genli I mean it's the same with him Genli versus Estrovan there's these these two sides everything mm-hmm. has these two sides and the way that there is uh, growth or success in quotes is yeah. by them bridging those differences or finding the commonalities like mm-hmm. so it's in Oh, chapter 18 on the ice. And so Genli and Estrovan become incredibly connected. And, you know, Estrovan has saved him and he has he has risked his life in a lot of ways to help Genli. You know, they're going to take him back to, how do you pronounce it, Kedegard? Yeah, that's what um, I would say. So that he can, with the intent of being able to get where he can call his ship, to have his ship come down and prove who he is and basically get him out of this situation and... Estrovan, you know, steals, which is a horrible thing to do. Next period. only to suicide right? in on, this society. In this society, it's even worse. And then, um, you know, due to all of Estrogen's, Estro, Estrogen, <laughs> Estrovan's amazing qualities, that was Freudian, um, you know, th- they survive. And anyway, they, they spend a lot of time together in this tent on the ice and they're talking. And um, at one point, Estrovan goes into Kemmer and mm. he's has attraction to Genli because he's now in Kemmer, which is for the period of reproducing, really. Yeah. Um, anyway, and so Genli is narrating here in this chapter, and uh, Estrovin has explained that, you know, I can't touch you. Like, there, I need to kind of have some distance. He's trying to get through this. And he's, Genli says, For it seemed to me, and I think to him, that it was from that sexual tension between us, admitted now and understood, but not assuaged, that the great and sudden assurance of friendship between us rose, a friendship so much needed by us both in our exile and already so well proved in the days and nights of our bitter journey that it might as well be called, now as later, love. But it was from the differences between us, not from the affinities and likenesses, but from the difference that that love came, and it, itself, and it was itself the bridge, the only bridge across what divided us. For us to meet sexually would be for us to meet once more as aliens. We had touched in the only way we could touch. We left it at that. I do not know if we were right. And I just mm. loved that passage. And I love that idea of what 
connects and what unites us, not only for what I think is right about that, but also for that idea of why does that idea of sexuality or sexual um, partnership create differences? Yeah. You know, how, how does it do that? I think a lot of times we think that that's going to unite two people or more than two people, but it can. Mm-hmm. But as it says, then you also can meet as aliens and it can create, it can highlight your differences Mm -hmm. And in those differences, maybe you lose a kind of connection. I just, I'm not saying any of this is, this is what it is, but I think it's an interesting thing that she brings up in this, this idea of what, what connects us and where does sexuality play a role in that? Yeah. Well, Genley is kind of, um, throughout the book, I think a little like contradictory in, in what he's attracted to. Like he's attracted to a couple of, um, sexually ambiguous characters mm-hmm. like I, th- I think it's like facts is one of them or something like it's it's like facts like i can't say for sure if the name is facts but there's oh, there's another character too where he seems to be attracted to them in their like sexually ambiguous state but he kind of like rejects it yeah um so even he's kind of like going through this weird process of trying to figure out like how his own views of sexuality impact what he finds attractive but also finding himself attractive to things that are kind of like opposing to his learned view of sexuality and like what he's supposed to be attracted to no I agree and I and I think that another thing that gets kind of you know Genley sent there initially to bring this universe into the ecumen so that they can join and and everything Humanity is not the right word, but kind of, kind like of humanity man can evolve and can grow. And yeah. like it doesn't he's not able to be successful at that until he forms this connection with Estrovin. Yeah, because Estrovin, real, you know, it, it's a really sad part of the novel. Estrovin dies. Yeah. They basically succeed. They make it across this frozen yeah. wasteland um, and Estrovin is killed by the prime minister that replaced him. Yep. Um, you know, again, out of political shit, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Yeah. And it's really sad, but he, I think, knew that that was a likely outcome, that he would not survive. He yep. wasn't forced to do this. He did this for the greater mankind. You learn, you know all along that Estrovin has been acting uh, by thinking of the greater picture, the bigger yes. picture, more than just him. And that's kind of what Genley is supposed to be doing. Yeah. That's his role. And it's not, I don't think that's really how he was acting towards the, you know, the beginning half of the novel. I think he thought he was, but I think when it came down to it, you know, and Estrovin understood that this is, he was playing this long game to have this succeed and he sacrifices himself to make it happen. And I think Genley realizes that. Um, and he's describing, I'm trying to think what chapter this is. There was a lot of stuff I noted in this book. Um, again, it's chapter 18 on the ice and he's been, so Estrovin's died. Genley's, you know, fine and gets taken to the King and he's has an audience finally with him. And this is kind of where the ball starts rolling for his ship to come down and yeah. them to join the ecumen and, and whatnot. And he's explaining, he's talking with the King about the ecumen 
Um, and the king, you know, asks him, which is a very good question. You know, why did you come alone? Why were you sent alone? You know, right. y- your ship still has to come for this to all work out. So why did you do what you do? It seems like you went the difficult route. Um, and Genli responds, it's the Ecumen's custom and there are reasons for it. Though, in fact, I begin to wonder if I've ever understood the reasons. I thought it was for your sake that I came alone, so obviously alone, so vulnerable, that I could in myself post no threat, change no balance, not an invasion, but a mere messenger boy. But there's more to it than that. Alone, I cannot change your world, but it can be, but I can be changed by it. Alone, I must listen as well as speak. Alone, the relationship I finally make, if I make one, is not impersonal and not only political. It is individual. It is personal. It is both more and less than political. Not we and they, not I and it, but I and thou. Not political, not pragmatic, not mystical. In a certain sense, the acumen is not a body politic, but a body mystic. It considers beginnings to be extremely important. Beginnings and means. Its doctrine is just the reverse of the doctrine that the end justifies the means. It proceeds, therefore, by subtle ways and slow ones and queer, risky ones, rather as evolution does, which is in certain senses its model. So I was sent alone for your sake or for my own. I don't know. Yes, it has made things difficult, but I might ask you as profitably why you've never seen fit to invent airborne vehicles. Mm-hmm. One small stolen airplane would have spared you and me a great deal of difficulty, <laughs> which funny way to end that very lovely uh, passage. But I love that idea, you know, that it's and it and it fits with the book. Genley is changed drastically yes. by this whole experience and by Estrovin. And that's where further change comes. You know, it's it's sometimes hard, I think, in our world to feel like one person can make a difference or one person can matter. Yeah. Or there can be change. Um and I think this is a great way to point that yeah, it one person can have a huge, huge impact and it takes one person changing can really get that ball rolling. And mm-hmm. so just loved that part. I, so sad that Estrovin dies, but I think that, yeah, you know, Genli, and it's such a believable transformation and I think it's such a hopeful transformation. And I think that that's such a nice thing I, that I think as I've done some more thinking about it, that science fiction can provide you know, I don't like to read disaster novels or disaster movies yep. or like apocalyptic things because I'd like to think of a more hopeful future than what I think is often portrayed in those situations, even yeah. though unfortunately they're pretty damn realistic. I mean, the Northwest is melting right now. Yeah. But um, I, I like the idea that science fiction really, while it can talk about some things that are a little scary um, or can seem apocalyptic or at times... It's actually really hopeful. And I think that this, for me, I found this to be a very hopeful novel. Well, I think it shows like the impact of just getting to know a person can make, you know, on your understanding of a whole community, just getting to know just one person can make a huge difference. I think about this sometimes, like just even about my parents, you know, growing up, they'd never really come across to their knowledge anybody who was trans very few gay people that they knew of that they'd come across and then I remember like when I was in like high school um like me my mom and I worked together and 
we both had a coworker who was trans and I remember how much just getting to know them completely changed their worldview in more ways than just understanding like the issues. If, if the issues had been like just like written out to her, mm-hmm. it would have had a different impact than the impact that just getting to know somebody who sure. went through that sure. or was part of that community that had a, a much larger impact on her like view of the community as a whole. And which is why I love Gendlyanna Straven's relationship is it just it's such a good picture of how like a misunderstood relationship if you just kind of like put in more effort you know you don't have to go through this like icy treacherous (laughs) wilderness to get to know somebody you just have to put in a little extra effort and by getting to know them and being able to empathize with them and understanding where they're coming from, it can really change your entire worldview and it can, and it can create completely different outcome Mm -hmm. than maybe you'd ever imagined. And I think that's, what's one of the wonderful things about this book is it just like, it's so focused on this. There's so much that happens, but so the focus of the book is this journey that they take in this, understanding that they come between each other and how this distrust and you know not animosity but like the distrust and misunderstanding of each other can shift into something completely new and and completely important and memorable and life-changing yeah and that's not something that's like unattainable Mm -hmm. it's something that I think she's trying to say is very attainable from anybody who's coming from a different point of view is if you just buckle down and get to know somebody like your understanding of their worldview is going to change. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So many things would be solved. Like so that. many things. No, is it is a great, it's a great novel. I'm really, this was a great pick. Uh, this was definitely a very provocative novel. And um, I, especially considering when it was written and even now just so much to think about and so and I just I love the concepts the concept of duality that's just so interesting and that takes in so many ways and um this book upset me and also I just thought was stunning it's just great it's a very provoking book and it was really challenging for me I'm not gonna lie like I feel like I ride well I feel like I read (laughs) challenging books often but I don't often read like high fantasy or um, sci-fi novels. So I'm not often like introduced to kind of the way that they introduce a world or try to like explain it or try to understand it. Yeah. I think the most I have is like Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that same kind of idea of and it. I think if you put the work into like immersing yourself in those worlds, it makes it a little easier. I think sometimes we almost try and connect it with the world that we know and the whole idea is to accept that there's this whole other world out there that may not play by the same rules or have yep. the same structure or make the same kind of sense and so I think once you give up control a little bit and are willing to just roll with it it reads a lot easier but it took me a little while to get to that point at first I kept trying to make it make sense as yeah. my world order 
Yeah. Well, and in, in, in that way, I mean, we as an audience are kind of like input into a frustrating position that Genley's put into, you know, mm-hmm. like we're trying to understand these things, like um, especially when she puts in like new language, like the idea of like shift grather yeah. is really interesting. And, you know, what goes against it is interesting like just asking for advice Mm -hmm. goes against your shift grother and like people will respect you less unless you specifically say that you're putting it aside yeah it's really it's just really interesting to think about like what impacts whether or not society is going to respect you or not yeah i'm trying i can't remember the chapter and i know i didn't notate it but there's like this part where genley first gets to i can't say it the more buddhist-ish world Head, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Starts with an H. Um, and he's approached by someone, and, and it's almost like Genley's ignorance is um, appealing yeah. to this person. And like, oh, he says that he's never had enough ignorance to like brag about it or something. Yeah. Like he wishes that he did. Yeah, like the idea of being ignorant about something is not a shameful thing. It's more like, because it's how I interpreted it is it's like the idea that you get to know. Maybe ignorance isn't the right word. Um. But it says ignorance, I think, in it the book. It says ignorance. But I took it to be more like the idea that you don't know and you have the opportunity to know is appealing. And also knowing it all. And also choosing what we shouldn't know, yeah. too, is interesting. It's almost, yeah, like because he's he's almost proud of like a certain level of arrogant, of ignorance, mm-hmm. of saying, I know what questions not to ask. Yeah. Because they're unanswerable and it's okay not to ask. And it's also really interesting, like their concept of, I mean, there's so many layers to this book, but even just like their concept of God and how they said that like, um, belief and also like atheist belief is the same thing. They're basically interchangeable, like to proclaim perfect knowledge or perfect, like unknowledge of anything is in the same spectrum of kind of like not believing in anything, not believing in anything. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's almost this. I mean, again, it's that idea of duality. It's like one has to exist for the other. Mm -hmm. They can't exist without the other. Like it's, it's all the same. Yeah. And you may as well like not even think about it. Yeah. Like you may as well not have an opinion. Makes my head hurt, but yeah. To me, it makes me feel like I may not even have an opinion. Like I like, well, I, I have lots of opinions. I really liked that section because I liked. I mean, I'm not religious. I'm not like pro religion in any way. But at the same time, I like. I find it personally. I would feel arrogant proclaiming that I know anything about anything, right? And that includes like knowledge or unknowledge about it. Like me saying that nothing exists to me is like as arrogant as saying, saying that I this know exactly is, what exists. Yes. Yeah. To me, like that's the same. I can't say anything either way. It's just like, oh, I don't know shit is basically my mantra. I know everything. That's my mantra. <laughs> <laughs> and I love to be right. <laughs> but like how fun is that like I don't know I, I think know. that's I it's think not that's fun int- it makes my life miserable but yeah I don't know I think that's interesting though I think that's an interesting way to view life it's also a really interesting perspective to take into when like you're looking at a novel like this that is mm-hmm. kind of grappling with those questions yeah um I think it can lead to a lot a lot of 
very interesting interpretations and I know I certainly appreciate it. Yeah, it was great. I love this really good call to do some science fiction. And like I said, I think last podcast, I really definitely want to read more of Ursula K. Le Guin. Yes, I would love to dive more into this universe and get to know it better. Yeah. So encourage you all to do that. Um, So I hope you guys enjoyed the novel. I hope it gave you as many questions as it did us and things to think about. It was great pick, Sadie. Kudos. Thank Um, you. So again, our next book is The Spy Who Came In From the Cold by John Le Carre. He's a great um, writer. He worked for a brief period um, with the CIA and then became an author. And I I think the edition I have, he kind of talks a little bit about how how he was looked at. He really didn't work in it that long a period of time, but a lot of people thought that this book was based off of real things or <laughs> put a lot more into it than was really there. Um, but he's a great writer. Um, I read this in college and um, it's set during the Cold War and it's kind of that idea of, you know, we're a democratic nation, but then when we do things to try and win wars or whatever you yeah. want to say, the tactics we use may be not be so democratic and does that still make us that way and all those great concepts which mm-hmm. is totally relevant to pretty much all periods of time so really excited to read that book as well um hope you all can pick up a copy and read it that episode will be released july 9th i believe so and yes. we'll be recording that one in person as well it's so gonna be, be so just, much fun just as entertaining for us <laughs> i don't know about for you but just as entertaining for us um certainly a treat yeah to see each other so thanks all for listening is there anything i'm missing sadie or anything else you wanted to i don't think so i think we kind of covered expand on yeah so thanks everybody and we will talk to you next time bye